Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Die Trying, your favorite Michigan podcast where we follow the trials and tribulations of Jim Harbaugh and his epic quest to win the Big Ten and usurp the Ohio State Buckeyes. The Wolverines are coming off their third win of the season, a 63-10 thumping of Northern Illinois. And before you poo-poo that too quickly, because I know the doubters will, this is the same Northern Illinois team that beat the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech in week one, the same Georgia Tech team that was a goal to go away from beating Clemson, those Clemson Tigers. So that was an impressive victory, 63-10. to 10. The offense was dominant. The run game was dominant. 373 yards on the ground, led by one Blake Corum, who went for a buck 25, his third straight 100-yard gain. He scored three touchdowns, averaged 9.6 yards per carry. True freshman Donovan Edwards got into the act as he put up 87 yards on just eight touches for an even better 10.8 yards per carry and two touchdowns. Uh, Both guys really looked impressive. You had three different Wolverines with multiple rushing touchdowns as Hassan Haskins had two himself. You had seven different players with rushes of at least 10 yards, including four with rushes of greater than 25 yards, with wide receiver A.J. Henning and another true freshman, Tavarian Dunlap, uh, who got some carries late in the game as this one turned into a laugher. Blake Corum is up to over 400 yards on the season. Uh, We saw Cade McNamara throw the ball down the field way more than he did against Washington the week before, which was to be expected. He was 8 for 11 passing for 191 yards, including a long touchdown pass, an 87-yarder to Johnson, who really uh, stepped up here. He went for uh, 117 yards, including that touchdown. He is the guy that Michigan is really looking towards, Cornelius Johnson stepping up as the number one wide receiver with Ronnie Bell out for the season. They almost connected on another long touchdown pass earlier in the game where Johnson was open and McNamara overthrew him a little bit. But as I was watching the play, I I kind of felt that it looked to me that Johnson wasn't really running full speed the whole time and then tried to turn it on at the end. And on that 87-yard touchdown pass, I know I went back and I watched that uh, route, and you could tell there was a moment where he almost looked down and just sprinted as hard as he could until he reached a certain point, and then he looked for the football. So I, I, I kind of think that the coaches probably saw the same thing and instructed him on how to maybe not lose speed or, or you know, get down the field faster, where he kind of emphasized getting down the field. Don't worry about, don't worry about tracking the ball just yet. That's the quarterback's job is to get you the ball. Your job is to get to the spot, and he did it there. And they're going to need more from him 
as the season goes on. He's a true junior. You have you saw Dalen Baldwin catch all three of his targets. He had three receptions. Um, you know, listen, it is Northern Illinois. It is the Huskies. Um, their offense is better than their defense. So we figured the Wolverines would move the ball with ease as they did. So I, I can't say that uh, off this effort, we suddenly trust Cade McNamara, but it was a step in that direction. You know, they kind of dialed it back against Washington, who has elite cornerbacks, NFL caliber cornerbacks for the Washington Huskies. A tough, a very, very tough um, matchup for the Wolverines. And against Northern Illinois, this was a step forward for McNamara. He's got a game against Rutgers coming up next week, followed by their toughest test of the season with a trip to Madison, Wisconsin. So he took a step in the right direction. He's definitely not at the finish line just yet. But for the most part, it's really hard to find anything to complain about with the offense. Uh, J.J. McCarthy did get in the game as well. He was 4 of 6 passing for 42 yards. That's the 5-star true freshman. Uh, Defensively, the Wolverines were arguably more impressive because, as I said, Northern Illinois is a team whose offense is actually better than their defense. Um, Coming into the game, their running back, Whaley, had put up some really impressive numbers Michigan absolutely shut him down. Only 34 yards rushing in the game, 2.8 yards per carry. Um, Their longest rush of the game was by Rocky Lombardi, who had a 43-yarder. He had 72 yards rushing. That was their most effective offense because he couldn't get anything going through the air. Um, While they had no sacks and 17 dropbacks, they were constantly forcing three and outs, quick throws before anybody could get open, Um, and it was a total team effort. We saw them completely empty the bench in this one. 28 different players recorded tackles, including uh, quite a few um, players who I didn't even recognize their names. So we're talking about walk-ons coming into the game uh, late for the Michigan Wolverines in this blowout as they improved to 3-0. Overall, 3-0 and out-of-conference play before Big Ten games start next week when they host the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And with, with that, we'll bring on our guest. And joining us now is Rainer Sabin, who covers both uh, the Michigan Wolverines and the Michigan State and Spartans, as well as the Big Ten for the Detroit Free Press Rainer, uh, thanks a lot for joining us today. Uh, glad you could give us some time this weekend, uh, coming off week three in the college football season. Uh, let's start with uh, the Michigan Wolverines, who through three games now have rushed for over a thousand yards. Um, we're talking 7.2 yards per carry, 15 rushing touchdowns. That's led by the spectacular play of Blake Corum. Um, Rainer, is this the best rushing offense you've seen under Harbaugh and is is Corum they're already you know on the verge of becoming their best offensive player during his tenure uh well I mean I I think uh I mean just to give some background I've I've only uh you know covered the team since 2019 it's really the best I've seen since they've been here but it does harken back to kind of the early Harbaugh uh 
era, I guess, at, at Michigan and even before that when he was at the 49ers and at Stanford where, I mean, they, you know, want to out-muscle you at the line of scrimmage and um, occasionally beat you with uh, maybe, maybe some play-action deep shots and such. Uh, but, yeah, the running game is, is their strength. Uh, they identified that as a strength before the season and have built the offense around that. Well, Rainer, yeah, I forgot you. You did cover Alabama. Sure, um, sure. So, so tell me this then: you've seen these elite, high-level, four-five-star recruits who turn into first-round pick. How does a Blake Corum compare to an Alabama back? I, I think Corum has the potential to uh, definitely have a very productive career at the college level. Um, you know, he, he's a little bit smaller. I mean, he, he's done some, uh, made some impressive gains in the weight room, really kind of has built his body to endure uh, the rigors of the Big Ten schedule. Um, you, you can see the progress he's made in that regard. And I think he's got, um, you know, great maneuverability. He, sh- he struggled last year on the edges, strangely enough, which is uh, probably was his strength going into last season. Um, and now he's become more of a physical runner, kind of between the tackles runner. And he's actually had more success with that this year than even uh, what he was able to do on the edges last year. So it's kind of interesting to see his progression. Um, you know, it's, it's a little bit too early to tell, again, whether he can hold up during the course of the Big Ten season. Uh, they haven't obviously played a Big Ten opponent yet, um, but, uh, the early return suggests that um, he should do pretty well. And, uh, you know, if, again, if the, it all depends on the offensive line continuing to win at the line of scrimmage as they have. Now, the, the lack of balance on offense is concerning to some, as this has really be, been a very run-heavy team um, through three games. Uh, Cade McNamara, the starting quarterback, only has attempted – 37 passes this season um i went through all the teams seven of the teams in the seven of the other teams in the big 10 their starting quarterback has already done that in a single game and there's only two quarterbacks in the big 10 other than Cade, who hasn't had th- uh, at least 30 attempts in in a single game so there, there's many ways you could look at it obviously the harbaugh line would be well we're going to run until you stop us to run but, you know, there's also reason to believe that, hey, maybe they have some doubts about the quarterback or maybe it could it be, hey, it's still early in the season. Uh, we have out-of-conference games we can win. We have Rutgers to start off Big Ten. So there's no reason to rush into things. We can, we can let our young quarterback grow into that role. How, how do you kind of view the, the balance so far? Uh, well, I do think it is a little bit uh, concerning um, in the sense that, um, Michigan has not played uh, from behind yet this season. And I think, you know, uh, game circumstances, a lot of things people kind of tend to forget about when they look at, at how you, uh, you know, approach a game and whether you can compete, you know, in situational football. And in the sense that Michigan has not had to face any kind of deficit, it's interesting to see how they uh, how they function once they do get behind. Um, you know, the, last year they started off every game trailing. Uh, they surrendered their first score in every game last year. And so they've 
corrected that, which is, you know, obviously very positive from, from Michigan's standpoint, but what happens when they fall behind at some point this season? Um, I mean, will they be able to continue to run the football or will they want to continue to run the football? And then if they have to pass it, can they do that on a consistent basis? And I don't think we've seen that so far. And uh, that I think that's why the concern is uh, valid uh, on the part of a lot of people, uh, just because, again, there, there is no certainty that they'll be able to um, run a functional offense if they if they have to throw the ball. And staying with that theme, um, once they do get into situations, I know you wrote about earlier in the season about how much they like the uh, true freshman J.J. McCarthy. Um, I know this is not something that the team's going to release, but what's your feel so far that if McNamara does struggle the first time he gets put into that situation, how quickly do you think they might look to go to McCarthy or do you think uh, McNamara's got a longer leash? I think McNamara has a longer leash. I mean, uh, I think it would show uh, uh, a, a lot of haste on their part if they did go to McNamara. I had to go to McCarthy uh, in, in a tight situation and it would kind of ruin the confidence. I think of McNamara, I think he's already looking over his shoulder as it is just because of the hype that uh, McCarthy's name has generated um, and certainly kind of the wild play he had in the first game. And, you know, uh, you can make an argument that again, McCarthy has a stronger arm and has a better physical talent and, McNamara faced the same situation last year with Milton where he was overlooked uh, because he didn't have the, you know, the, the great physical traits that Milton had yet, you know, McNamara can run an offense. He, um, some of the things that we haven't seen yet this season that he did well last season, it's run RPO game, uh, you know, which is interesting that they haven't featured that at all, really, especially considering they have a potent run game. Um, so, the question is whether, you know, again, if they do go to that more RPO style offense, you know, and, and determine that they want to have more balance running and throwing, then McNamara still may be the guy um, if he's allowed to kind of run that kind of offense. Because, again, he made some very good decisions getting the ball out quickly against Rutgers and that three overtime win last year. Now, how about the defense, Rainer? Uh, we have a new defensive coordinator in McDonald coming over from the NFL, the Baltimore Ravens uh, implementing that 3-4 defense. We're seeing more stand-up edge rushers. Uh, so far, they really haven't had a great, great test in terms of two, um, you know, group of five teams. And then Washington, we know their biggest struggles are on the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, through three games, he really seems to have done a good job of unlocking the talent that they have on defense, particularly somebody like an Aiden Hutchinson. It looks like these guys are finally starting to flourish. Yeah, I agree. I would, I would agree with that, that he's done a good job of featuring his best players, um, especially Hutchinson, but he's also done that with, you know, Dax Hill, who um, yep. certainly is the, the best player in that kind of uh, on the back end uh, for, for Michigan, um, using him as a slot corner and, uh, um, you know, uh, le letting him play a little bit closer to the line of scrimmage and such. But um, he's done a good job with that. But again, I think Michigan's best defense is his offense. I mean, you, but they've definitely limited the amount of plays they've had to defend. 
by just running the ball and you, you know winning a little bit uh, in the time of possession category, which again I think is an overlooked statistic, but it has a cumulative effect over the course of the season. Last year, Michigan had to defend the most uh, the highest average uh, place per game in the Big Ten outside of Maryland, and you know they also had the lowest time of possession outside of Maryland. So um, it, it wasn't a recipe for success last year. And I think, again, they made a significant course correction on offense to help, you know, uh, basically disguise some of the weaknesses on defense uh, from a depth standpoint, because they don't have a lot of depth. And that's something to watch too. Um, but McDonald has done a good job so far as ours, again, featuring some of these uh, more elite players that they have. Yeah, I, I think people tend to forget how much those two things can go hand in hand. Um, Rainer, you wrote about the Michigan State game. Uh, they beat mm-hmm. Miami, upset a ranked team uh, down there in South Beach. They are now in the top 25. Um, I watched, you know, a pretty good portion of that game. It was, uh, it seemed like Michigan State just said, Miami, we're going to, since you want to beat yourself, we're going to let you do it. We're not going to make any mistakes. And, and the Canes just seemed, whether it was a penalty or a, I, I think the, the biggest sequence was at a 7-3 game, the tight end drops a touchdown, then they get a penalty, then they miss a field goal. And it was like, all right, it's going to be that kind of day for Miami and, sure. and Michigan State took advantage of it. So um, a lot of people are wondering, like, are they for real? I'm not exactly sure what for real means. Um, I'm not sure if they're a top 25 team. I think they're definitely a bold team and better than people thought they were going into the season. Um, how about you? Do you have them? Do you think they're a, a legit top 25 team? I think they're a legit team, whether they're top 25 or not. It, it, you know, I, I don't know. But, I mean, the, the, the fact is that I think that, that, that this is a solid team and a team that um, actually can play week in and week out and be competitive. And that's what I meant by, you know, this team is for real, is that they can compete on a week in and week out basis. I mean, last year, I mean, there was no, you didn't know what you were going to get from Michigan State because, again, Mel Tucker wasn't able to uh, institute his program to the fullest extent um, given the circumstances that, you know, he was dealt. I mean, he was hired very late in the coaching cycle, the month later, the pandemic starts and the offseason's uh, uh, practices are wiped out. You know, spring practice is wiped out. Don't really have a normal offseason training program. And, you know, the season gets um, suspended and then it's, you know, put back on. And, you know, he's had and he's got a bump to get the, basically the team back uh you know, up to shape. And it's, it was just, a, again, a very difficult uh, process for him to have to, you know, go through that with all the other stuff going around, uh, all the other circumstances he was having to um, contend with. And, you know, to, for them to even beat Michigan and Northwestern last year was pretty remarkable. But again, they weren't able to kind of, uh, you, you know, harness the momentum from those wins and carry it into the next week necessarily. And so you just had these kind of isolated, you know, moments of success. And this, this win over Miami is totally different in the sense that I think it really is more indicative of a program that has been able to put things together um, and can carry one performance, good performance from one week into the next week 
and build on that. And so I don't think you had those isolated moments of success that you did last year. I think that this is more of a, uh, a trend that's developing with Michigan State. So I think that's very encouraging for uh, if you're a Spartans fan. Oh, for sure. I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, their, their number was four and a half wins. And I think people really underestimated what an impossible job Tucker had going in as, as you, you know, you outlined there. Um, bringing both teams together now, they're both three and oh, they're both ranked. We're talking night and day differences from both teams, from what we saw on the field in 2020 to, to 2021, which has you surprised more? Um, I would say Michigan State just, you know, going on the road and beating two power five uh, programs. I know it's hard to assess, again, the quality of Northwestern. You know, they're one and two, I guess, now. And um, and then you have uh, the same thing with Miami being one and two. But obviously one of those losses is to Alabama. And so uh, – and Alabama has a tendency to wreck teams in those openers. Uh, they've done it pretty much every year. I mean, they've destroyed – team seasons uh, right at, at the beginning. I mean, Florida State is an example in 2017, Louisville the next still, year. Florida State uh, still hasn't recovered. Yeah, exactly. And Louisville in 2018, uh, you know, that was a disastrous year for them. And then um, Miami looks like they could be a disaster themselves. Even with, even with that said, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, Michigan State being able to put all this together, considering they have 41 new players, um, including 15 scholarship transfers and it to look this um, impressive, I guess, in, in the way that they've won um, and look as sound as they have um, is the thing that's most surprising to me. All right, Rainer, we'll let you go on this one. And, uh, you know, the fans, they love to hear those predictions. So who ends up uh, between the two uh, Michigan schools, Michigan and Michigan State, who ends up ranked higher uh, in the polls or in the big, big 10 East standings? Well, I'm going to, right now I'm, I'm going to side with, uh, I'm going to side with, Ooh, this is a tough one. I, I'm, I'm going to side with Michigan at the, at the moment, just because, you know, I think they stopped um, started at a higher floor than Michigan state did. Uh, but I wouldn't be necessarily surprised if Michigan state ends up higher than Michigan too. I mean, I think it's all going to hinge on that game in East Lansing uh, in October um, when they when they both beat um, where they go from there. Because I think you know, again, um, that that another win for Mel Tucker over Michigan could really send that pro- program really to the point where they really believe they can do anything. Whereas with Michigan, if you know they can get that win themselves, you know, on the road. Um, possibly, you know, who knows if they're going to be favored, um, which would be, you know, Harbaugh's first win as a underdog in his entire tenure in Michigan. Um, so, I mean, in that sense, I mean, it, it could be a huge win for, for Michigan as well. So I think a lot's going to hinge on that game when they meet in East Lansing um, later in this season. Yeah. I, I took a peek at the schedules and if uh, Michigan can, steal a win in Wisconsin, which might be that first underdog win that you're talking about. They, yeah. It's it's very possible they could both be undefeated. Who would have thought yeah. that? Yeah, I mean, it would be crazy if that was the case. I mean, but, it, you know, again, it's it's great to see, you know, both programs doing well and 
being able to kind of uh, rebound from uh, a very difficult year last year. All right, Rainer, thanks a lot, man, for joining us and giving us some time to, to break down both the Wolverines and the Spartans. That's Rainer Sabin. He writes for the Detroit Free Press. You can follow him on Twitter at Rainer Sabin. Uh, Rainer, thanks a lot, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview as much as I did. And uh, before we wrap up this episode of Die Trying, the uh, let's let's look a little bit into what the numbers people are telling us, the 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 nerds, if you will, the stats guys, the analytics people. Let's start with Blake Corum, the running back. He is right now through three weeks rated as Pro Football Focus's top power five running back. And how did they come up with that number? Well, his uh, 8.5 yards per carry, uh, a simplistic stat, right? An old school stat. He's fourth on that. Quorum ranks 11th on explosive rushes. He is getting the benefit also of a good offensive line, if not a potentially great offensive line, particularly in the run game, as he ranks 8th in yards before contact, 4.1 yards before contact. So he's already putting up a nice number uh, before he even gets to a tackler. And then on top of that, he ranks uh, sixth in missed tackles as through three games, he's already forced 19 missed tackles. And obviously everybody can see how explosive and fast he is once he gets into the open field. Uh, Rayner made an interesting point about last season and how he struggled in turning the corner. And I think a lot of people have the misconception that all these big runs come from bouncing it outside and going around the defense and up the sideline. And sure, that does happen. But you can also get a lot of big runs by running it between the tackles. And once you get past the muck, once you get past the mess in the line of scrimmage and you get some space, then you can really take off. And that's what we've seen a lot from Blake Corum. Um, PFF also rates Aiden Hutchinson as the number one edge defender among Power 5 players. And he's got 11 pressures in 60 dropbacks this season. Hutchinson's draft stock is constantly on the rise you have people now projecting him as a potential top 10 pick. So he is really coming into his home. And as we said, you know, that's Mike McDonald's defense seems to be really doing a great job of letting those individual talents just flourish and, and excel. You know, that's if there was a criticism of the Don Brown defense, even before the end, you know, obviously the end, it was the big plays in the passing game. But even before that, Michigan would have a Rayshon Gary, and it didn't seem as if they featured him. It didn't seem like they took that elite talent and said, hey, this is, an, this is a special talent. This, is, this isn't even just a very good player. This is a, an elite, unique player. We need to take advantage of that, not just plug him in. And that seems to be what Mike McDonald is doing with Hutchinson as well as Dax Hill. When you look at Bill Connolly's SP+, he's got Michigan rated number six in the country. Did you hear that? 
AP voters, number six in the country. He ranks their offense as 12th, defense 8th, special teams, which we talked a lot about last week, number two in the country. And how about that um, that ESPN FPI rating? Wow. Have you guys seen this? I don't know if you've seen this. You can check my Twitter. Um, I've retweeted it. They do their FPI rankings with percentages for the upcoming games. And let me let me just read this out to you if you don't want to get on the Twitter here. We have Michigan 87.1% to win against Rutgers, 61.5% to win at Wisconsin, 71.2 at Nebraska, 93.6 versus Northwestern, 55.1 versus Michigan State, 88.9 against Indiana. That has Michigan potentially being 9-0, undefeated, going to Penn State, who's right now ranked 10th in the country, or by the FBI at least. 50%, 50% to win at Penn State, 80.3 against Maryland. And then finally, I know this is the one you guys are waiting for, against Ohio State at home in the big house. To close out the season, imagine this one, potentially with the Big Ten on the line, FPI gives the Michigan Wolverines a 53.7 chance to win to win that game, to beat the Buckeyes. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, they won't have to die trying. They will if they have to, but maybe they won't have to. Those numbers, hey folks, it's easy, it's, it's early in the season. But it's fun. It's fun to look at. I told you week one, enjoy this season. Take it all. Let go of the past. Let go of the disappointments. Let go of the previous letdowns. This is a new year. And you can feel the energy from the team. There's a new focus. There's a new enthusiasm. There's a sense of urgency, a positive sense of urgency. Not an, oh, no, we can't fail sense of urgency and let's we want to keep playing we want to keep winning let's go bring on the next opponent that type of urgency so let yourself enjoy it let yourself believe that this is the year that Michigan will flourish and uh, I hope you guys continue to also let yourself download and listen to this podcast die trying I'm your host Danny Mogollon you can follow me on tw- Twitter um, and the sport man, and as always, go blue.